Blog Talk Radio. Welcome once again to Madam Perry Salon, the podcast that loves you. I'm your hostess, your cruise director, your groove mistress, Madam Perry, but you can call me Jen, Jennifer, JP, Perry. I'm just happy to be here with you, having such fun again on the show. And by the way, folks, you know, you can listen to the show anytime. You can only hear it live, live once, where you can call in, like tonight, like if you're listening right now at 801 EST on March the 15th, the Ides of March uh, 2021. You can listen live and call in, but uh, you can always download or listen to it later. A lot of people tell me they listen in their cars, they listen when they're running um, or doing housework, which is cool. Uh, but you can catch us too on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, everything. And please follow if you would and uh, and share the episodes with your friends. Because we've been having so much fun. You know, a couple of weeks ago we had uh, the prolific writer, screenwriter, filmmaker, Tina McElroy-Ansa was on. And uh, my friend Kenya co-hosted. Tina's friend Wanda called in and said, Tina, be quiet. Let somebody else talk. And uh, science fiction and steampunk author Zigzag Claiborne uh, messaged in. I love this. This is like listening to my aunties when I was a kid and they were playing cards. Because I feel I'm feeling kind of homesick now. But that was the first show. The next night we had, uh, also that week we had Dr. Sheena C. Howard. Dr. Howard's newest book is actually a compilation that she's edited and she's also contributed to, called "Why Wakanda Matters: What Black Panther Reveals About Psychology, Identity, and Communication." and that is an excellent book. Also, Dr. Sheena Howard was the first black woman to receive the Eisner Award, which in the world of comics is uh, pretty much like an Oscar, Tony. So that was fun. Also, we had um, see Viv Boucherat with her book, Know You're Crazy. And she's an artist, singer, uh, musician, a lot of fun. And then her husband came on, uh, Chris White. You might know from the Zombies, original zombie lineup, not with him now except for on the 50th anniversary tour, and uh, putting out a lot of work called The Chris White Experience, so a lot of new songs. And also, uh, yeah, he wrote a lot for Arjun, a lot of songs that you know connected with them. Chris White wrote or co-wrote. And let's see, also, if you love the zombies, I have it on good authority from their manager that Colin Blundstone and Rod Argent will be here soon in Madame Perry Salon. So that's fun. Tonight's guest is, is just a delightful trip. He was on a few months ago, and we had so much fun. So I've got to bring this man back. He's a, a musician, music promoter, novelist, writer, screenwriter. And I could go on and talk to about him, but I'd rather talk <laughs> to him. So I want to welcome Graham Slater. I want to welcome you back in the Genie Bottle. Hi, Jennifer. Nice to be with you. Yeah, and all your listeners, certainly. 
it is a delight to be with you. And I just wanted to be uh, clear, you know, we've talked about, and a lot of my listeners like to watch um, British TV of foreign things. And you were telling me about a show that may be coming over here to the States, Their Terror. And I wish That's right, yeah. And it's, it's, it is a terror, but it isn't, if it makes sense. It's about two ships that uh, go to the Arctic in the 1800s, and they get literally stuck in the ice. And one of the ships is called the Terror, um, which is a good title in a way, but it, it's 10 episodes, and I binge-watched it uh, over the weekend. All 10 episodes <laughs> over, two, over two nights. At, at the very end, as the voice that comes over here, was counting back from ten for us. I was asking you, is that that's terror as in a horrifying, scary thing, not the terror as in a little yappy dog that wants to sink its little pointed teeth into your angles? Like <laughs> no, definitely not a little dog. I mean, it's quite it's quite um, gruesome in places. My One of my daughters said, watch it, and uh, she hasn't got to number ten yet. She came around for dinner last night, and uh, she's up to number seven, but I'd, I'd watch them all, and uh, they are very, very good, very well filmed, well acted, well written. I mean, they, it's just something very unusual, you know, but it is it, it's a lot of ice in it, obviously, but it's very, very good. Very, very good indeed. Well, let's talk about something else that's very good and entertaining. Your books. I've, I was trying – I've been writing up and posting things about having you on the show again, and I'm try, trying to keep up with books, how many books you have, eight, nine uh, well, it's nine, yeah. It's eight novels and, and the uh, write-on book. But I, I, with the lockdown over here in England, I, I struggled to write number 10, if you like. I really did struggle. And I've shelved that. But about um, 10 days ago, I woke up in the night and had that eureka moment. So I'm actually writing a sequel to I Will Survive. And I'm halfway through it, literally that quickly. Are you serious? I will survive. You asked me to tell you what I thought about it when I was through. I don't think I told you, did I? Oh, you didn't, no. Well, for one thing, folks, if you if you read I Will Survive, if you've already read it, uh, are they're fast paced. They are books for adults. Doesn't mean they're yes, yes. porn, but they're books for adults. They are suspense uh, and. <laughs> Yeah, it's fast. You won't. There's not, there's not. There's not a slow. There's not a wasted word in there. It's fast, and he shows. He doesn't tell. So he doesn't like overtell you things, uh, like some people do. That gets annoying. I mean, it just it goes fast. But you got it. It's it's just like a, a roller coaster. You just got to stay in your seat. With it. Oh, that's, that's very nice. But that is how I write because I because I write scripts. You see, I try to be as visual as I can. But to, to go into pages and pages describing, I don't know, a room, a carpet, wallpaper, or, or anything, really, uh, I know a lot of people get put off by that. So when I, when I started writing, my plan was, although it was very loose, <laughs> the plan was to keep people reading it and, and keep the chapters short. And then hopefully then they're going to um, go on to the next chapter and not put the book down and think, well, I'm not going to read anymore. And they leave it on the shelf to gather dust. <laughs> Nobody's gonna leave. I will survive. <laughs> I mean, it was okay. So um, I'm, I'm trying to work my way through your other books, where it's not really work. It's just, uh, just okay. Am I ready for this one? Okay, because once you get in, it's just like a ride that you're on, and you gotta stay to the end. You can't skip off because you gotta know what happened. Uh, but, That's right. That's 
right. Yeah. Well, and the reason the reason I um, I decided to write the sequel was so many people have said, well, what happens? Because when I wrote the last page, I actually was in tears myself. You know, I thought this is dreadful, and uh, and I had planned to leave it at that, but. Uh, because uh, and several people at the BBC actually said, look, you've got to write the, the, the next one. And I thought, well, no, I, I don't know what to write. There is no way it can't really go anywhere. But um, once, once I had that, as I say, that eureka moment, um, it just all came together. I mean, I've got a lot of gaps to still fill in. But um, all I will say is that Liam and Zeta end up in London. And the provisional title is London's Calling. But my wife hates it, so it will not be that. But... Um, <laughs> it's 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 the title I'm working with. Yeah, all you and of course we mentioned last time you know, you're a musician and you've you've traveled a lot in your early career as a musician. Uh, the Cavern Club, pretty much everything the Beatles did, you know your band did as well, and goes very popular. Um, so all your all your song your uh, your thrilling books have song titles. Like, I will survive. That's right. Well, as many as I can. I mean, I wrote a, a historical book called Hatred is the Key, which was set when we, when Britain was at war again with America, 1812 to 1814. And uh, obviously back then I had no idea what songs were like or, or the titles. So I, I had to come up with a title that, that fitted the book. But all the others, yes, they are song titles. And, uh, and the next one will be. But it, it won't be London's Calling. But um, <laughs> I'll come up with a, a good title that makes it work. Certainly. <laughs> okay. So uh, yeah, the other's like Love Shack, Ticket to Ride, More Than a Woman. Um, Cowboys and Angels. Cowboys and Angels. Yeah. Just uh, too big to cry, and uh, we're going to be fam- We're all going to be famous. Yep. Yep. And the chapters in there are all songs uh, by two British girl bands. Um, they're no longer around, and and it does you know irk me a little bit because the the bands in there, the Sugar Babes and Girls Aloud, of course, they're not around. So to me, it seems a little bit dated now, and I'm, I keep thinking, well, shall I shall I retitle it, rewrite it? But you know, I don't think it's a good idea. It's like songs; you shouldn't really go back to songs if if they're written and you've recorded them. Uh, it's on to the next, you know, and I think it's a bit of a cop out if you if you keep reworking old songs, unless um, like Rod Argent and Colin Bluntstone. I mean, they will rework them, and probably they, I know they do. They, they, you know, they do slightly different arrangements to their songs because Colin, with respect, his voice has changed. He's a wonderful voice, but I doubt if he'll hit the notes that um, he used to hit. <laughs> Say you don't mind. I mean, there's an incredibly high note at the end of that. I doubt if he would hit that now, but maybe he still can. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, see, the last time I saw, I guess it was probably about four years ago. Um, and yeah, but most singers have to, you know, pitch things like tomorrow night I'm going to be watching a, a virtual concert of Todd Rundgren. And when I listened to his first CD, first uh, um, album in the car, he said, that's, that's the young, that's the teen, practically teenage Todd voice. Yes. As he gets older, it's deeper. Looking for girl bands. Um, when Chris was on, he had heard on another show that he had listened to of mine, he had heard that my husband bought me a ukulele. And oh, so, very popular instrument that is, on the cruises too, yeah. Really? So he was oh, yeah, they have, they have ukulele groups, and um, some of the, the people who do the craft sessions take the ukulele on, and they'll take maybe 50 with them, and they'll sell them to the passengers, and they have a concert at the end of the cruise. Oh, yeah, very, very popular. Oh, my gosh. 
Well, he says something about it. You know, I heard your, your husband bought you a ukulele, and then somehow that dissolved, d- d- evolved into, oh, what if I have a ukulele Chris White tribute band? So, you know, I don't know. We could make that our girl. We could, we could be the pussycat dolls of uh, of uh, ukulele. Yeah, you, pussycat ukulele dolls. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and uh, and if you see Chris, tell him. Uh, so anyway, we were also going to talk tonight about writing because I have so many people, and you know, my pro- my book is called Sell Your Books Today because I was told it was if you use a short, catchy action title, you know, people will understand it. But as a uh, publicist, I always see writers. They first of all. They they know more than they know. They think they don't need an editor. They don't want any darlings killed in their book. And also, um, they don't realize that you start promoting way ahead of the publication. And so I was running a or, or holding a coaching group where I would teach people. And my book tells people how to promote and to start early. But there's so much more that people always ask me about. With writing, I said, look, I'm not a writer. My writing is all nonfiction essays and copy for stuff, but it's not fiction. So one of the cool, one of the coolest things about you is that you not only teach, but you teach writing, Graham, on hmm. international cruises, cruise ships. I know I do, and I'm just, one of my things tomorrow is a a video, promo video of some of my talks, yeah. Oh, well, would you be able to send it to me? Well, it's for the cruise cruise lines, because um, they're having real problems at the moment, so I've I've now signed to an agency, and um, they want a showreel so that they can show me to the cruise lines, and... uh, Book me in once, and I say once, things settle down a bit and cruises start again. Well, how does it look over there? Are people taking the vaccine and getting out more or what? No, it's. Um, I was out with my wife today in our town or city, and I would say that one in every five shops have closed and won't open again. And the only places open are coffee takeaway shops, the banks, because we had to go to the bank, they now close. Instead of being open until 4.30 or 5 o'clock, they're now closing at 2 o'clock, and they're not opening on a Saturday. Uh, it, it, it's a, like a ghost town, and, um, and all cities are the same. And I've heard today we have a, a company over here that sells wonderful chocolates called Thornton's. They have uh, 61 shops around the U.K., and I've heard this afternoon that they're closing all of them. So, no, it's it's pretty bad. And, of course, the problem with vaccines at the moment, um, a lot of countries have stopped them because of um, people who've had the vaccine have now developed blood clots. So it's, 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 it's a crazy time. It's a crazy, crazy time. It's not good at all. And I, I fear so much for businesses. If I was in business now, I don't know what I'd do with myself, you know, because there is no, no immediate future. And mid-term, long-term, who knows what's going to happen, you know? We, we don't know. Exactly. We don't know. And uh, so it's changing up the way people work. Uh, 
some of us are still working because I can do my work from home. Um, Same here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. It's easy. <laughs> yeah, you can write from home. But on the other hand, though, people that uh, get out to work um, and you, like we're talking about the cruise ships, you know, because you go on the international cruise ships or when you teach or when you go to book signings and stuff like that, you know, that certainly had a big change. And, you know, people want to get out. They want to get out and have fun again. Um if they feel safe with the virus. So um, I just think that's such a dream job and so cool you do, that you've done that. And every time I've seen pictures of you, I mean, it looks like such a fun event with people around you and, and, and uh, signings and the books and so forth. But talk to what do you think for uh, – by the way, if authors are listening to this live tonight, um, if you have a question for Graham Slater, you can call 646 716 that's six four six seven one six nine nine two two. If you're in the continental U.S., it's a toll-free call. And um, I know some people are out there listening. Oh, you can always so message me on Facebook if you have a question and you can't get to a phone for whatever reason. I don't judge. So um, you know, people get busy. Uh, you can ask a question. So. When you talk to writers, when you give these classes, when you give classes, courses on creative writing on a cruise ship, what do you start with? Or, or what is your, you know, what is, uh, what is well, your Well, the last one I did, which was the Christmas before last, I did eight talks. Um, and I normally start off with, with, you know, why are you here? Because um, being on a ship, a lot of people look at the agenda for the day or the diary or the calendar and think, yeah, we'll go along. And um, one gentleman I remember, he... I read a, a half a page from one of my books, and uh, and he, oh, he freaked right out. Oh, this is not for me. Oh, I can't sit here and listen. I mean, it was a little bit heavy. Um, it was from Too Big to Cry, uh, where a young lady had, had um, fallen down the stairs. She was depressed, and uh, she'd cut her wrist. So it was a bit, it was a bit heavy, but not, not like um, Love Shack or I Will Survive. And he stormed out. But I, I normally say, look, you know, why are you here? And I talk about the big sellers, and I try to get them involved. And I, I ask them who are the, you know, the, the biggest sellers of all time and also uh, what their interests are. And I normally go around the room. It's very relaxed. I normally have maybe 30, 40 people, and the majority of those come to every talk. And as I say, I did eight the Christmas before last um, and then I go through things like the timeline and flushing out the flashing out the characters um, and and how I do it because I, I can only talk from experience. I can't stand there and have uh, read something from a book and, and try to teach that. I I tell them how I do it, and the penny normally drops. And um, I've had a few passengers um, over the last few years who've actually sent me books they've written. And like they say, you've lit the fire for us, you know, so wow. it's lovely. That is, that is. <laughs> well, that's got to be a good feeling. Oh, it's great, it's great. I mean, unfortunately, one of them, um, I can't, obviously, I can tell you the name, but it um, it wasn't very good. I mean, like we talked when I first came on, we're talking about description, and so you had so much description, but nothing happened until two-thirds of the way through the book. And then it really kicked off. And so I said to her, look, you know, I like the way you write, but your book should start at the last third. And then you should virtually leave out, edit all that two thirds, because it just didn't 
it didn't go anywhere, you know. It was just, uh, I don't know, sat, she probably just sat there typing away, I'll explain this, describe that, but it didn't go anywhere. It did absolutely nothing, and uh, um, it, it was difficult for me telling her that, but I, I, I don't want to discourage people because when I was songwriting or when people came to me with songs, the easiest thing for me was to say, well, it's no good, you're no good. But, but the thing is, you never know what people are going to do in the future. And I give them as much guidance as I can without being hypercritical. Because, you know, if you destroy, and you, you, you say you write, you don't want to destroy people's um, uh, dream, you know. And it, as some people will. They'll absolutely be scathing, um, uh, you know, when they read or hear anything. They'll say, no, it's, that's no good at all. You ought to pack it in. But um, everyone can do something, but it's finding that niche. And that is the key, I think, to writing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. This will, um, yeah, you never know where things will go, what they'll learn, when, but something may snap, you know, something, a bell may ring and things will change. And then, two, yeah, you're right. You don't want to discourage because it, when you read about people like, and of course, this is music, you know, which is a field you definitely understand. Um, mm. You know, how many times do you hear about people like David Bowie or whoever, who, which I guess kept getting, you know, writing? trying to make a record and just dud after dud getting nowhere mm-hmm. and then just keep on uh, perseverance. Well, that's and, right. And uh, I think you've got to keep on. I mean, Elton John, I'm not name dropping, but Elton John back in the 60s, early 70s, he said, you don't need to be the best in the world at anything you do. But if you keep on, A, you will improve. And other people that are good, Drop down, drop out, drop out of the ra- off the radar, you know. So eventually, you will come to the top, and then with a bit of luck um, and hard work, yeah, you can make it. And you, you know, I mean, you've got to write. When I'm songwriting, I've been maybe write a dozen songs, and there'd only be two good ones. And I had to be my own credit controller or quality controller. Sorry, I'm thinking finance there, but my own quality controller. And you've got to be honest and true to yourself. So if if you write songs or you write poems or anything else, you really will know if it's any good or not. You may not know how good it is, uh, but you certainly will know if it is any good. Uh, you you should your gut should tell you that. Uh, and if you if you kid yourself, well then you know you're never going to get anywhere. So you've got to be honest and say, look, this doesn't work. But what I would say though, Jennifer, to any writers, do not destroy. Anything you write. I mean, you look at some of these old films, you see authors and they've got a typewriter and they have a, they end up to their necks in rolled up paper that they've ripped yeah. out in the machine yeah. and start again. <laughs> but now with you know PCs and laptops, I save most things. But what I do, I don't discard it. I just put a line through it. And, you know, I line it through, even in the middle of a paragraph, I'll just line it through. And then when I go back to get my, what I call my second draft, I will look at what I've crossed out, and quite often there are the odd line or words that really work very well because you've you've progressed with the story. So you must not destroy anything. Oh. So you've, in other words, what you've what you've laid out initially, it may not be polished, needs a lot of work, but there is you know some some truth and 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 some depth to it and and some. Uh, yeah, always, emotion. always. There's always something there because you see, um, my wife. I was, I was writing. A, I wrote a, a chapter the other day, and 
I think it was Sunday before last, and my wife came in and she started reading. She's a perfectionist. She, she was a shorthand typist, you know, and she's great with grammar and, and punctuation. And she started looking and she read the first two lines and she laughed. I said, cool, I'll tell you, you want to change this. I, and I, I couldn't get her to understand that it was the very first draft. I'd literally typed it a few minutes earlier. And, and she said, oh, you know, you've got that, that word's wrong and this is wrong and that's wrong. And, and we almost fell out. We wouldn't, didn't fall out, but we almost fell out because, uh, you know, it, she was criticising, quite rightly in a way, as far as she was concerned, that it wasn't very good. It, I'd literally just typed it straight off, bum, 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 you know. <clears throat> and um, I, I went into the, I got my study and I went into the other room and I made a cup of tea and, and uh, she said, oh, you're annoyed. I'm not going to comment anymore. <laughs> and I said, you can comment, but let me let me get it to a state that it's worth commenting on. <laughs> yes, yes, that's, that's very good. Um... <laughs> and how long have you been married? I mean, it could married? have killed me, really. I mean, if I'd, if I'd have been a new writer, I probably would have given in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so... Uh, uh... <laughs> I, I know, I know. What about? Do you still write music? Um, not very often. I, I occasionally will come up. We've got a piano here, a lovely piano. It's, it's her piano. But occasionally, I will just sit down and I will come up with melody and things like that. But not songs anymore. I, I because it's so hard to get songs away and off the ground these days. And you've still got to record them. So by the time you go through that, I'd rather, being honest, sit down and, and write my books. Or work with artists that have finished their music, you know. Because your books, and also after I ask this, I want to talk to you about your book right on, and also about Tabitha. Uh, what, I mean, once you get reading your books, I mean, once you get into them, like I said, it is, you're, you're on the ride. And just so beautiful beautiful imagery where you're just thinking you know you really don't see how things are going to work out and you don't make it too easy where you go oh I see that wouldn't work um you know because we thriller lovers we don't like that you know we want it to be right to the bone which is where you take it right to the right to the bone before you slice it off before you take off their leg or whatever but once you get in, do you get to roll in with them, or do you get it to a point where uh, you just stop and go, I, I don't know where, what to do now, or do they just kind of like... Well, I, I, the I become the characters, and I become all of them. I become all of them, because they, bearing in mind, they have to speak, so you have to have dialogue. And I was told many years ago that unless you know your characters well, they will all speak in the same way. So what I do is once I've got my idea and I know I need four characters, let's say Liam Riley, uh, you know, who's one of the protagonists in um, I Will Survive, I look and look and look until I see a picture or a photograph of my Liam Riley. I have to have him on the wall. And then when I get to Zeta, who was an ex-Mossad operative, I've got to have her on the wall. So when I've got my half a dozen key characters, I print them up, my wife does this, you print them all out on a page, colour preferably, and we write or type the names beneath each of them, and I put it on the wall in front of me, so that when I'm doing my dialogue, I can actually see them. 
And I, I don't get mixed up then in the way that they speak. And sometimes I will choose a character who is an actor. Um, I mean, one of my characters in uh, in another book, in Hatred, was, um, um, and I forgot his name, Ray Winston, who's, you probably know him, he's a real Cockney actor, and he was the governor of the prison. And I, I could see him and hear him talk, so... Uh, I was able to then to write the dialogue with him coming alive. So, no, you've got to know your characters because otherwise, um, and you've got to be in them. You know, if you've got two two people in a scene, you've got to be both of them. And then you can write your dialogue. I say I've been working on the, on the new one today, and uh, there are about three pages of dialogue in a cafe, just bum, 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 bum. And you know the character. But unless you know your character... Before you start, i.e. with a backstory, where they were born, their likes, their dislikes, their abilities, their mental abilities, their um, state, mental state, bodily, have they got a limp, have they got a, um, you know, a finger missing, are they, are they, you know, are they deaf, are they, are they bold, all these sort of things. You need to know that because once you've got your character tied down, uh, you know, with a picture and also a description of what they've done, where they're going, then you know how they're going to react to most situations. So then I become those characters. So I love the character Zeta and, uh, you know, so I think early on, and because of her, uh, the time she spent in the, help me with this word again, Masood? Mossad, Mossad, the M-O-S-A-D, the Israeli Special Forces, yeah. And early on, when she's, when, you know, wherever she is, anytime, she always makes a note of where the exits would be. Or always. Could be. Oh, yeah, because of the fire. But she has to. I mean, it's, you know, she, she is um, an assassin. And in the new one, I mean, I've got some, well, she's, she is wonderful in London. I mean, she is absolutely brilliant. I, I've, I've written that now. And, um, it's what she does. The other thing, of course, um, Liam was going to have a tattoo, and she said, "Don't have a tattoo, because you can't hide it. You know, if you're being being tortured or you're captured, you've got a tattoo. People will know that. Most, if you look at most police murders, um, TV films, they always say, well, what, what distinguishing marks? Oh, he's got a a bird on his shoulder or a a, a cross on his left leg or or whatever, and and so they're easily distinguishable." And she says, no, you don't have a tattoo because it keeps people guessing. You're, you're, you're less likely to be recognized. Not you will be recognized, but you can argue it, you know, and that's that's what people are taught. I, I don't do a lot of research um, to, to get her character to work and, and to go into detail of where she'd been and why and how she became that character. So who did you what picture did you have? Or Zita with Lucy uh, Lawless. Lucy Lawless. No, it was um, Charisse Theron. Have I got the name right? Charisse Theron, South African actress. She's in oh, a. Okay. Um, she was in Mad Max. She's been in lots of films, um, but she's quick. You know, um, you would know her. C H E R I Z E Theron. If you put that into your um, into your oh, yes, browser. Yes, yes. I, know, I know exactly who you're talking about. Sherry's the wrong. Yes. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. that's her, you know. I mean, it's just her, you know. And, and Liam is an actor who was in an episode or a couple of episodes of a, a medical program we have over here called Casualty. He only had a small part for a few weeks, but he was my character, you know. So, okay, good. It's important oh, yeah. to, you, you want to know what they look like. It's very important. Yeah. And as, as I did in a, a couple of chapters of Right On, I explained how Jenny um, was found, didn't I? Yes, but tell us again. Well, Jenny, I, I, I came up with an idea um, that she was her husband, again, of multiple sclerosis. Nobody knew, and he, he'd had a car accident. But he ran a, a fishing boat down here in Devon, and he couldn't take it out anymore. So she, um, Jenny, then decided that she would have to take all the exams and the training so she could actually take out the boat, uh, the fishing boat. So I scoured, scoured magazines until I found a lady, and... The one I came up with is a very diminutive actress called Felicity Kendall. Mm-hmm. And she was in uh, The Good Life and things like that. A beautiful young lady. Um, and, you know, a, you know, a really tiny lady, you know, a slip of a girl, if you like. And she took over the ship. And so I, in, the, in the book, I've got a picture of her. But I then had to work out how she would do it. And I, I go through the whole process in Write On how I came up with the idea, and then I came up with the timeline. There is a picture of Felicity Kendall in there. And uh, I just go through the process, backstory of her and her husband and the kids and the in-laws. I go through all those people, and I, I, I show people how you, you form the character. And I think I picked out two or three other characters in there, and I put photographs in, of them as well to just give um, a feel, so to, to guide people through um, before you start writing. If you start writing and you haven't got your characters and a basic plot, you'll never finish it. You know, I don't believe there's such a thing as writer's block. What I say is if people aren't able to continue, you're looking at a blank screen or a blank piece of paper, it's because you haven't really thought out your characters and the timeline and if you haven't done that, then you, you really go nowhere. And, and, you, and, and it's, it's self-defeating, really. So you need to set everything up before you physically start writing. I see. Yeah, you mentioned Felicity Kendall. Um, what is popular over here is uh, Rosemary and Time. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yep, yep, yep. I can see them now. Yep, detectives, weren't they? That's right. Yeah, yeah well, that's, she is my Jenny or Jennifer, and then I, I work the story through. But, no, you need to know your characters. And, I, and I, I mean, I never write the whole book in my head before I start. I think if you do that, then it's not going to work because you've got to allow your brain to, um, <laughs> what can I say, unravel or give you ideas, <laughs> you know, because it, it's like a seed and, and you've got to let things gestate and you get little ideas all the time then and... and You'll start to fill it in in places and, and you fill in the chapters and everything else. But um, it's not instant. I mean, some writers like Ian Rankin, uh, who wrote, writes Rebus, I mean, he often will lock himself away in his flat in Edinburgh. He'll fill up his freezer, fill up the fridge, fill up everything, and three months he'll write a book. Um, I can't do that. I mean, my books generally take longer than that, although I think London's Calling is probably going to be the quickest one I've written, I would say. 
unless I hit a wall somewhere. <laughs> um, but, but no, Ian Rankin, I mean, a, a lot of people will, will sit down, they start at five, six in the morning, and they'll write 2,000 words, um, and on to the next, and on to the next. But again, I can't write like that. I do spend hours and hours and hours um, in my study writing. I might be in here all day, you know, my wife will bring me in a sandwich and a couple of cups of tea, and I keep working. Other days, I can't, so I, I, I can't force it, you know. It's, it's silly trying to just to put words on a on a screen for the sake of it. A lot of people count words. If you're my, I've written 3,000 words today, but there may only be 100 that are any good. So, so why waste time typing and thinking the number of words you've written when really it's, what I say, quality in a way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is an excellent point because I do see that a lot of people. I wrote this many words wrong. This is what I'm going to write today. I'm going to get at least 1,000 in. So, yeah. Yeah, I like your take on that. By the way, um, the website is GrahamSlater.com, G-R-A-H-A-M-S-C-L-A-T-E-R. That's that simple. Um, GrahamSlater.com. And I want to talk about his book right on because um, Mm -hmm. whether whether you're going to write a novel, your story, your life, memoir, autobiography, family history, whatever – uh, his book right on will help you with that. And so again, if you have any questions, you can send them in to me. Um, and if you're listening somewhere else, like people do when they're running, driving, you, I will always share all of this information, the website, all the links to Graham Slater and his books on all of my social media, not only for Madam Perry salon, but also, uh, Jennifer Perry. So I'll share that. And you know what? Um, I've got a little some uh, a little message here to play, and uh, be back in about forty five seconds. So you can probably get some okay, water. Okay, okay, <laughs> all right. Be right back. I mean, the world has gone crazy, right? I mean, this whole pandemic. I I, I don't even know if I'm coming or going anymore. You know what I mean? But the one thing during the pandemic that I found out, right, that was a good thing was the Madame Perry Salon. I made this podcast, right? When you hear her laughing, all you want to do is laugh. When her dog's barking in the background and she's talking to the dog, she's going to an interview, and I'm like, this podcast is the best podcast I've ever heard before. You know what I mean? Oh, that's a sweet thing to say. Oh, isn't that? <laughs> <laughs> Do you recognize that voice? No, I don't. No, I don't. It's the comedian Sebastian Maniscalco. But oh, that's no, not I, him. I don't. I don't know him. No, yeah. but I mean, he, he sounds great. I mean, he's uh, really on the button, as they say, isn't he? You know. And he, yeah, well, he dragged me in, actually. I thought he was actually there with you, you know. <laughs> uh, well, this, uh, I, I found this guy on Fiverr, and they could do all kinds. So he's done all these for me. He does all kind of voices. And he did another one as Shaq, um, Shaquille O'Neal, Charles Barkley. Um, he does these for people in different voices. So, <laughs> ah. yeah, I'm just a faker. Anyway, okay, <laughs> your book, right on, right on. Uh Talk about the book and 
why you wrote it. Do people do people come up and just ask you so many questions? You're going to look. I got a book. You can just re- get the book. Yeah. Well, what what happens is, I mean, I say to I say to people, look, you know, they all come in with notebooks and pens and things, and I've been the other side of it. And the the problem is, and it's like people who take you know videos of things at a live show where they the video in it, but they don't actually get the feel of the show because they're looking through their camera all the time or their phone just just watching that rather than the real show so what i say to them is look if you want to write notes down you can um but obviously i'm on the ship so you can always come and ask me or have a chat a cup of tea somewhere up on deck or whatever but people said you know you ought to write a book because you give us so much information we can't take it all in and i do get them involved so um I, I was year before last people said look you've got to write it so i ask a few friends for titles and one friend a guy i went to school with called graham who's no longer with us he had prostate cancer and he's I say no mm. longer with us but he came up with the title right on and um yeah it, it, it it's great it sold really well and on the ships i normally sell out of those and you see people walking around with it you know and asking me questions how do you do why did you do that <laughs> it's it's wonderful 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 i, I can't believe it but um, yeah, people wanted it, and I, I do courses over here, creative writing courses, so people generally will buy them as well when I when I do my classes um, here. So, yeah, it, it's great, but I was asked to write it. I didn't intend writing it, but um, and it was relatively quick to put together, Although, but I wanted it to help people. And what the, the feedback I've had, Jennifer, is people have said it actually tells you how to do it, whereas a lot of how-to writing books, creative writing books, and we've all bought them. I've got a shelf full of them here, and they all contradict each other. They say, you're not telling us, you're showing us how to do it. And, of course, that is a phrase in any, any writer should know, is you, 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 know, you show, you don't tell. And, and that, that's right. You just show them how to do it, rather than you assume that people don't know anything. And if they do know bits, then they can flick through it and go on to the next part. But... Um, you know, it, it, it's great. I love it. And I, I, it was well worth me doing. It took a bit of time and I had to put another novel backwards, but it didn't, I didn't mind. It worked very well. Where's the part? Have you ever had a part or when people should recognize a part where you should just stop? You're in the middle of the book or in the beginning or somewhere towards the, but it's just not going to work out. Um, that happened to you yeah and i do but remember i said it's good to partly plan things but what i often end up with or early days i end up with i might have two or three chapters that are reasonably well finished you know but other chapters i might have just a line or a couple of lines and that's when i do freak out a little bit because i think i start working on that one line which is a chapter and I actually think I'm never going to be able to write it because you compare what you've already written in the book and you think, how on earth am I going to get that one line to become a chapter worth reading and worth writing? Um, but if you've planned, planned it out in a timeline and you know where you are, you, you, you can go to other places within the book or you can do some research. Spend time research. Don't waste the time. If you've set time aside to write and it isn't working for whatever reason, 
then look at research. And a little example, if I'm writing something, I mean, what I'm working on, on today, Zeta is in London and she's going to go to a hotel and get changed and then go to a restaurant um, in disguise. Now, what I've got to do yet is work out which restaurant it's going to be and which hotel it's going to be. So if I was stuck today, so I, what I write in is I write hotel in capitals, need to find out where this is. I type that in, physically type that in, in capitals, and then I put find restaurant nearby within five minutes walking. And I put all that in, in capitals, and then I'll highlight it with a color. So if I'm struggling or I'm thinking, well, I don't really want to sit down and spend all day writing, I will just scroll through the pages, and where I get, when I get to that section I've just described, I'll then start to look at a map of London, and then I'll look at restaurants, I'll look at the menu, I'll look at um, you know, the hotel, is it a five-star? I need a five-star because there's a Saudi prince staying there, so I need a five-star. I also need a casino nearby. So all those things. So you can do all that research, and I guarantee by the time you've spent an hour researching, you'll be typing again. So I, ah. I talk to myself within the book uh, as I'm writing it. I need more here. Change this word. That doesn't make any sense. This is rubbish. <laughs> um, you know, put it down. Put it down because then you can go back to it. If you, if you, just, if you just leave gaps, it means nothing. You've got to instruct yourself as to, to what you need to do. And research is a great way of of looking at, um, uh, you know, looking at, at, at information, and then that will help to guide your character through it. I mean, um, I Will Survive and London's Calling are all set, of course, in 2000. So it's 20 years ago. So I've really not had a lot of mobile phones in it. Um, and you've got to research things that were correct at that time. Certain cars weren't in, they weren't even invented or made by then. And Certain restaurants weren't even open at that time. So you've actually got to check back to, to make sure that the time you're writing it in, that those things existed. Did the buses go past that route at that time? When did they change the numbers of the buses? All this sort of thing. So you've got to get all that right. All right. Yeah, I see. Um I am just mesmerized by you and, and, and your skills and your techniques um, and your voodoo or whatever it is that you do that makes your <laughs> books what they are. Um, because uh, yeah, you don't want any, any accidental anachronisms. And uh, when, well, it's got to be right, know, isn't it? You know, I mean, um, you know, if, if certain mobile phones, if you're going to use a mobile phone, then it's got to be one that was around at that time. Um, and, and all sorts of things, certain foods, food, food changes a lot. You know, in England, I mean, I remember in the sixties, there was only one place that we knew as a band that did chips with curry sauce on, and that was up near Manchester. Now it's very common, cheesy chips, little things like that. You know, they, they weren't around them. Certain perfumes weren't around. Certain magazines weren't around. Um, certain drinks weren't around. So all those things you've got to, if you're going to mention a watch, was that watch, you know, in being in 2000? So you, you, all those things. And, and the other thing I do is if I go anywhere and I, I will pick up a, um, a map of the, the town, the village, the city, and I'll use that map for my street names. 
And I'll also pick up a local free newspaper and look at what's around and, and then check back a fish and chip shop. Was that fish and chip shop there in 2000? Did it exist? Was it something else then, you know? Um, so all those things, you can get information everywhere, but it makes the book real. But when, you, when you're setting it in a time, i.e. 2000, um, I mean, hatred is the key, 1812, well, you had to be very careful there, you know, how they spoke but without overdoing it, you know? Because nobody wants to read sort of local dialect. And, and, and you know when you talked about you know the, what perfumes, what kind of phone, whatever. Because yeah, those are powerful. I'm sure everybody's got something they could say. When I smell this, if I smell this uh-huh. fragrance, it takes me back yeah. to a place. Um, That's correct. That's exactly right. And what was the what was the top sort of perfume in 2000? And you can research that, and you can see, and so you right, that's a present, or that was the one that everyone wanted. Then that's that's the that's what you mention, and it's real, and um, you know it's it's it, it's right, but you've got to get it right, and that's what, I, as I say, when I'm when I'm writing, if I say perfume, if I said that, and I'll put in capitals, check out a popular one or a cheap one. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, to suit yeah, yeah. suit the character, buy them a present. They buy them a cheap perfume and they think, oh, God, you know, it only costs 50p or 50 cents, you know. Um, I bought it in the market or something. So you've got, you've got to think it all through. But that is linked then to your character. If your character is a cheapskate and won't spend money or never buy a present or take anyone out for dinner or anything else, then you buy them a sandwich. You give them a packet of crisps or um, tortillas or something or whatever you, you have over there. You know what I mean, don't you? Right. Um, and I've seen the pictures and where you've written about uh, where you go to different countries to and do research. Um, I mean, oh uh, yeah, well you've got to England, yeah. And so that way you know the feel. Um, when I read your books, I see. I think it was um, twenty nineteen and twenty twenty maybe or twenty eighteen twenty nineteen. I got to accompany my husband to a. Um, a big trade show for a broadcast and media things in Amsterdam and there are 10 days. And so walking around um, since they're working and I'm just goofing around going to museums, I could feel, you know, it's like you took me back there. I could feel, I could feel the walk and the sea and the way the air felt. Uh, the, the, yeah. yeah. The well, you've got to yeah. do it. I mean, I, I mean, when I wrote, um, when I wrote Love Shack, I mean, I, I was over there with Fats Domino and that's when his guitarist died, bless him. Um, for a heroin overdose in the hotel, and I dedicated Love Shack to him, um, Roy Montel. But the, the the thing is, I went back there, although I'd spent time living there and played there in bands and things, I went back each season to get a feel of how Amsterdam was each season, um, how it changed, the shops had opened, the special Christmas, New Year, all those, it's all relevant to that book and to I Will Survive. So... You know, you've 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 got to you've got to go there. And I, I stayed in a little hotel in the red light district. Um, got up in the middle of the night. I remember walking out, and it was snowing. And Amsterdam. And I remember. I don't remember the line exactly, but my character. Um, my, oh, I tell you what it is. Yeah, my my character is a, a gentleman who, an elderly guy who's always wanted to go with a prostitute in the window. And it's snowing, and there's very few around, and the girls are all semi-naked, throwing snowballs at each other. 
and my character, and it's just a guy walking down the street, no name, he walks towards the window but stops. And he turns and he grins. And as he's walking away, he looks at his footsteps in the snow and he mutters to himself, maybe next time I'll make it to the window. Now, when you walk around Amsterdam and it's snowing, everything becomes beautiful, as it is in most places. So I had to see that. And then once I'd seen that, then I came up with the idea of my, my, my little old man, bless him, um, walking along and the girls throwing snowballs and their, their minders and their pimps saying, look, you know, get back in, you're supposed to be working. So all that came because I walked at two or three in the morning along the single canal there, um, in Devallen, which is the red light area, I walked that in the middle of the night, and then because the snow was, you know, touching my nose and and everything else, it was cold. The windows were still, the girls were still there. Then I came up with that idea, and you, if I hadn't have walked there in the snow, I wouldn't have come up with that whole thing. That would not have existed, you know. Yeah. Oh, that is so brilliant. When. Okay, so let's take a situation like that where, um, because I would go into places, you know, I would be alone and, and going around the city, um, going to a place to have, you know, coffee, have a cappuccino, or some waffle, or whatever, and different people come in and out. When you do that, when you walk in, and I imagine, you know, you get the feel of the clientele for that particular restaurant or cafe or whatever it is. Yep. Do you, while you're in there, do you ever, and I've, I've read that uh, playwright David Mamet does this, do you ever pick up any dialogue and use it? Um, very seldom. Very seldom. And I say, I mean, um, <laughs> I tried it once. I was on a bus. We have buses just running around the city here. And I was on there one day, and I was sat there on my own. I was in semi-writer mode. I was thinking of my notebook there, wanting to get out of my pocket. Um, but I didn't want to do it in case people thought I was sort of spying on them or, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and what they were talking about was nothing, really. What are you having for tea tonight? Oh, Bert's gone to work, you know. Um, and it just wouldn't work. For me, but what I do do when I go to a cafe, I always get my notebook out. I always carry a little, little, little tiny pocketbook, uh, about two inches across, three inches across, and maybe five inches, and a pen. And I always carry one. And I would just watch what people are wearing and their mannerisms. Um, and if they are talking, it's something that is of interest. Or, uh, then I may use it loosely. Uh, I mean, I've just written a tiny section in a, a little cafe in the east end of London, and the gentleman who, who runs this cafe is called George. Now, this is 2000, remember, and so there were a lot of cafes around then, but real London cafes, you know, pie and mash and eels, eel pie and mash and goodness knows, jelly deals and things. Um, and my, my guy, George, runs it with his wife. Now, he's overweight. He's only got a couple of teeth. But he still likes young girls. And Zeta walks in, and she's been in once with Liam, and then she goes back on her own. And he's all over her, you know. Yeah, what would you like? Oh, I see you've come back. And his wife nudges him in the back with her elbow while she's making the toast and things. And she said, look, you're too old for that. You're kidding yourself, you know. And so that's the sort of thing that people would say. <laughs> Yeah, 
Yeah, because um, I, yeah. you can see it. You can see it. it you can. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he puts the tea down and he slops it. It goes in the saucer because he's shaking because he's, she's so nice and he, he's getting as close to her as he can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and his wife's watching him over there. And because, yeah. So, yeah, um, no, I, I, I get a lot of characters and clothes and mannerisms from sitting in cafes. I'll often, if I can, sit near the window and look out onto the street and watch people walking by, uh, and I might sit there for a couple of hours, you know, just just watching people. And it's really incredible how much information you can get just watching people. You know, lady with a dog, she you know, she's got it in her pocket or, or it's in her handbag or um, but whatever. You know, you just see things all the time. You know, the, you get the uh, homeless people, um, uh, how they're dressed, where they live, their home is a cardboard box in a doorway. You know, all these little things set the scene um and i do try to imagine i mean i i actually have been homeless for a while living on the street and i tell you what the worst part is five or six in the morning when very few places if any apart from the 24 hour a day cafes everything is shut you know and you know the street cleaning the streets and things like that you've got to get up and and that those hours are the worst of the day because once there's a lot of people you can just disappear amongst them but but when you're actually um trying to sleep and then you know that people are coming through and and it's daylight then you've got a problem and and it's pretty horrific pretty horrific you know i went to the uh, alcoholics anonymous for love shack to a meeting just to get a feel of what it is like because liam was an alcoholic or is an alcoholic you know so You've, you've got to do these things. You've really got to be part of it. On my next book, um, it's called Buskers, I will be out playing my piano accordion in the street. Oh, okay. Just to see what it's like to be a busker, <laughs> because I don't think um, I don't think it's very good. I mean, it, it's quite, it sounds romantic. Um, <laughs> my, it's called Street Life, but it sounds quite romantic, but actually it's not at all, and uh, I will be out there playing my accordion. They'll probably take money off me rather than give me money. <laughs> <laughs> they will take money off of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give me your card, mate. You're so bad. You're going to have to pay me to listen. <laughs> <laughs> That's what... Yeah, well, I say to friends of mine that that uh, have dancing clubs for money, and they'll go, "How you do?" I go, "Look, but you know, I, I'm not young like you. If I did that, they'd pay me to put it back on. They go, put it back, yep, and I right. go, that's no, right. pay yeah. me, no, pay me, yeah, I'll pay put me. it back on." <laughs> like that guy that did that little bit just now, the, the old dog barking there. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's legit. Uh, yeah, I know it's real. It's not taped. Yeah, so so no, you've got to live your characters, and you've got to, you know, to make it real, you have to do the research, and um, mm-hmm. and people can tell. I mean, without being cruel, Lee Child, I know he's sort of retired now, and his brother's writing um, the Jack Reacher stories. But mm-hmm. I read one of I read I always read Lee Child's books. I love them, but. I read one probably three books ago that was set in Hamburg, and I, I honestly believe that he didn't go there to research it. I may be totally wrong, but I don't believe he went there, and I could tell, you know. Mm-hmm. 
How could you tell? Give me an example, please. Well, it just didn't. It didn't. He he didn't give any information. It was down in the docks um, near London's Brooklyn. Because I lived in Hamburg, as you know, in the sixties. So you 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 know these things, and and it, it just skitted over information that really would have would you would have written if if you'd been there. I don't know if that makes sense, but if yeah. if you'd been, you would want to write it. Let's put it like that. You know, you wouldn't just skip over it. But um, great books. I mean, fantastic. I mean, it's one of the most successful writers, I think, probably of all time. Um, you know, the number of Jack, Jack Reacher books he's written, 22 or 23 books. But um, I just think, you know, I, I say I always read them. I review them. And, and that was one that I can't remember the title, but that was one that just didn't didn't seem right to me because most of the others are all set in the USA, aren't they? So, I'm, you know, you... you I know no different. I've never been. So to me, it works very well and I can feel it, see it and smell it. But um, <clears throat> that particular one, uh, it just didn't didn't sort of didn't sort of ring true to me. But it's only me personally. It's not a criticism. I'm not criticizing. I wouldn't criticize anyone. But mm. I just didn't think it was it was right compared to his others. But that's it's only me. You know, my opinion, as I say. This is like people who write about the South or put a Southerner. Now, I know I'm a Southerner with a Southern accent. I'm aware of that. But there are a lot of different Southern accents. And uh, and we don't all, you know, eat what people think we eat all the time. You know, like, um, but people tend to, so we tend to get stereotyped. And like I said, the the, uh, the accent that was used in the uh, by the actor, I can't remember his name, um, in the TV film about, John Lennon's murder by Mark David Chapman, and yeah, yeah, Mark David Chapman grew up where I grew up. He and my brother were in Scouts together. His dad worked with my dad. Um, I can tell you right now, if Mark David Chapman had that kind of accent growing up in yeah. Gresham Park in Southeast Atlanta. He wouldn't have lived long enough to shoot anybody. Okay. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> well, there you are. You see, a... so, so that's yeah. that's why you have to be very, very careful, isn't it? <clears throat> now, in a book, you probably get away with it um, because you wouldn't over—I use the phrase "over egg." You wouldn't over egg the accent, but you might put in the odd phrase that would be specific to an area, so that someone like yourself, if it was set down there. You'd say he's got it right. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes. But it's it's very very difficult. I mean, um, uh, Scottish accents. I remember watching the film Train Spotting, which is a very Scottish, very British film. Uh, and I started to read the book, and I only read the first page, and it was all written colloquially, you know, sort of um, with with the way that the, the way it sounded, but. I ask. I always ask people on the on the ships. I say, you know, have you read trains? No, I couldn't read it. And they're Scottish people, and they say, no, I couldn't read it. Couldn't really understand it because they all learn English in the way that we're talking. So to suddenly say, hi, okay, the new Jimmy. Um, whilst they say it, you wouldn't write that in a book because you 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 lose. Not everyone. Not everyone will actually understand it. Even Scots people, they would read it as straight English. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, yes, it does. So, so you know, you've got to think about these things. It's so easy to put in, um, you know, the, the 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 accents and things like that, but it wears very thin if you do it all the way through. So you have odd little phrases that 
really set the scene and you know that that person is from Atlanta yeah. rather than, uh, I don't know, somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we don't all say bless your heart. So <laughs> sometimes it's no, not we don't. an insult. But, um, but yeah, it's fun. Listen, this has been so much fun. You are so much fun. You're not only a prolific writer of great stories and creator of great characters, um, you are just absolutely fascinating to talk with. And, uh, again, it's Graham Slater, uh, dot com, and you can go there. You can also see um, not only where you can order his books off of there, off of the website. You can um, see pictures, learn all kind of stuff. There's even a page where, you says, uh, where you can see where he's going to be, where he's been, what radio yep. shows, TV shows. Uh, coming up, I don't see Madame Perry Salon in there, but you do a it lot. Is. I'll on, put it on. Um, it's there. Yeah, yeah. I'll have another look. But I'll put it on. Oh, yes, I know yes, I did, but did. maybe you know. It's, it's, and then the website. I, a little tip. I decided to have a website that I could actually do myself. You know, rather than because so many people have websites that are actually out of out of date. They're never never up to date. You know, um, mm-hmm. and I. Do do sort of look after it myself. It's very simple, and I'm just looking here now as we're yes, speaking. It is. It, it is there because you put the USA time and the UK time live interview with Madame Perry Salon USA. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, there you are. You see, yes, yes, yes. It is on there, young lady. <laughs> <laughs> and I see, and you've got you know the cities: uh, Eastbourne, Malaga, Costa del Sol, uh, USA. So yeah, you get around. On the air, you get around. Uh, yeah, I do lots of interviews. Way. I mean, not as many this time because what's happened with lockdown, a lot of the presenters uh, work from home, so they don't go into the studio. So they don't always get the messages, the books or the emails um, because, you know, you've, you've got somebody who's dealing with it and they, they just don't move it on, you know, and that that has been a problem, certainly in the lockdown. That's one of the things that has caused me certainly a lot of issues um, trying to sort things out, but um, hopefully it will get better, and um, we can go back to, as I say, some sort of normal. I flipping mm. hope so. Yeah, yeah, don't we, uh, Graham? Have you ever or done this, or have you ever considered audio books? That you I, I have. I, I, when I did Ticket to Ride, I had a gentleman in America who really loved it, and he said to me, he said, "Oh, can you record some chapters for me?" So I recorded six chapters. And it took forever. I mean, forever. I mean, um, you know, you've got, I don't know, I will survive probably about eighty, ninety thousand 90,000 words. You're gonna, it's going to take me to do it ages. And to get someone to do it, it's very, very expensive. Yeah. You know, to get someone who's an actor who can voice the words and get the expression and everything. So it's something that I have thought about. And uh, Ticket to Ride, I've got six chapters recorded with music at the beginning and end and uh, it, it's really, really good, but the time it took uh, is a long time, you know. And um, I, I, again, going back without being silly, I'd rather do my rather write than to really work on an audio book. But you never know. I mean, uh, Cowboys and Angels, just changing the subject, has actually been translated into Swedish, and um, I'm hopeful that that's, that's going to be coming out over there very soon. And what will be great is they've read a lot of the film noir 
things come from Sweden and Scandinavia. So um, the drag, girl with a dragon tattoo and things like that. So I'm hoping yeah. that um, once it's translated into Swedish, it might do a full circle and end up back on British television, uh, you know, as, as a filmed in Scandinavia. But um, yeah, well, yeah, audio books maybe for the future, but certainly limited time. You know, I, I mean, once I'm in the mood to write, I want to write, and I think if I had to take chunks of time out to um, to record it, or for someone else to do it, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's weighing everything up. You know, in fact, what I did yesterday, very quickly, I I I'd, I'd written um, I've written a couple of phrases, a, a Dutch phrase and a. Uh, German phrase and some English words, and I I clicked on the computer and it read it for me. <laughs> it was it was it's like a robot, but it was great hearing it being read, you know. So <laughs> just uh, I think it was about three lines, but it was it was quite funny listening to it. So yeah, so it's a uh, uh, very robotic, like say uh, two thousand. Has the mission been completed? You know that I have the greatest enthusiasm for it. That's it. Something That's like it. that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from Hal from 2001. Yeah, Space Odyssey. Oh, listen. But, uh, but no, yeah. I mean, it's a great idea, and I'd love to do it. But, um, you know, it's got to be right. And uh, I don't know. You know, if if I knew that I was going to get a lot of um, sales through it, then I would probably think about it. But it's the unknown. And um, I think weighing it all up. Certainly for me at the moment, the time isn't right, but maybe it will in a year's time, you know? Yeah. Um, Just like with your characters, anything can happen. Graham Slater, I know I've kept you over time, and I apologize to your wife. Tell her I I didn't mean to keep you over, but she knows you're (laughs) fun. So uh, thank you so much. Yeah, she does, yeah. 53 years now, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, Maybe 54, actually, in May. I think it's 53, actually, but yeah, yeah. Wow. Long time, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, so tell her thanks for me for, and all of us for uh, allowing us to have so much of your time, and uh, just thanks for being here and all that you taught. And I will make sure that everybody is able to access your website, your books, learn more about what about writing from you, and also get into these books, folks. If you've read them, you know. Uh, if you haven't. <laughs> You don't wait. Don't wait. Uh, you don't know what you're missing. Yeah, believe me. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, hey. found, uh, love to your husband and your little dogs there. They were pretty good tonight, weren't they? <laughs> yes, they were. <laughs> and listen, and that came from a rough town. Okay? I guess my husband said, you've known murderers? Honey, yes, I've known murderers that grew up with me. It was a nice little middle-class neighborhood. Yeah, we had some murderers. So, yeah, these books uh, even were shocking to me. So, uh Thank you very much. Graham Slater, please come back and visit us again. Thank you, Jennifer. Bye-bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. 
I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.